0: in our Mark's uh, study. Chapter 3 is uh, where we're going to be. We left off at verse 12 last week, and so as we do a verse-by-verse study, we'll be starting at verse 13. And of course, at this time in our study in Mark, we see that Jesus is in his Galilean ministry and and there are people streaming to him from all over not only the Galilee region but all over the nation and elsewhere those down in the Arabia Desert uh, of Edom and and elsewhere are coming up to the Galilee to see and hear Jesus. We know up uh, north in Tyre and Sidon which is in Lebanon uh, they were streaming down to the Galilee region as well. As Jesus is speaking great things and doing amazing miracles, and we left off last week seeing that um, it was Jesus that healed a man with a withered hand there in the synagogue in Capernaum, and what we have seen is the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, two sects of the religious leaders, and then the Herodians as well, they're more of a political group. They are joining forces to come together to, to plot and plan now to have Jesus be put to death. And so this confrontation was taking place concerning the Sabbath, work on the Sabbath, and then Jesus healing that man with the withered hand Uh, on the sabbath day there in the synagogue and so they're angry with jesus they're very upset and jesus here he is he's speaking great things he's casting demons out of people he's healing those with every kind of sickness and disease and the great multitude is getting bigger and bigger they're surrounding jesus trying to touch him to receive a healing from him and now as we pick up her text we see that jesus is going to take some time to withdraw from the people from this great multitude and he goes up on a mountain as we do read on in verse 13 and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him and so let's pray father we ask that as we come into this place That as we hear the words of Jesus, that we would be touched very deeply. And Lord, we do cry out as we sang, have mercy on us. And Lord, may we see your grace and touch us. And those who perhaps need a healing touch in their hearts, that you would do that work this morning. And those of us who need instruction and and encouragement and comfort, that Lord, we know you desire to do that work in us as we open our hearts and our ears to hear from you this morning. And so we give you this time in the study of your word to be attentive, and Lord, in in expectancy that you're going to take your word and pierce our hearts with it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I really like verse 13, where Jesus gets away from the crowds, and we've seen that pattern already in the book of Mark here, the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus is ministering to the multitudes, but there was times... Where customarily he would get away, he would be up on the mountain, and he would be praying to the Father. And how important it is that we have a mountain that is a place that we can go and get away from the daily routines and um, the everyday things of life that keep us busy and in our schedules to just spend time with the father that's so critically important and that's what jesus has modeled for us as he would once again get away from the multitudes and he's praying to his father and as he's up there we see that uh, he then after he prayed as luke gospel tells us as he went up on the mountain he was praying he would then call those 12 to himself so he first prayed and then verse 14 he's going to appoint the 12 the 12 disciples or 12 apostles that they might verse 14 goes on to tell us be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons and so verse 16 simon to whom he gave the, the name peter so we have listed here the 12 Simon or that is Peter he's always listed first in the gospel narratives that we see that the 12 apostles their names are given to us and so Simon of course means shifting sand and of course it would be at Caesarea Philippi later on that Jesus changed his name to Peter which means rock. Peter would give that confession when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter would speak up and he would say, That you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded by saying, Oh, blessed are you, Simon Bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he was handed the keys to the kingdom. And so, a great uh, thing for Peter to hear those words of Jesus as he made that confession. And now your name's going to change from Simon which means shifting sand, to Peter, which means little rock. And so that's the work that Jesus did in Peter. And so verse 17, as we continue to read this list, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. So Judas Iscariot, he's always listed last in this listing of the 12 apostles. So the 12 listed there as ones as Jesus selected to be apostles, and the word apostle, of course, means sent out ones. Jesus would entrust the kingdom to these men, sending them out to tell the people of the message that the kingdom of god is at hand to repent and we know that luke's account tells us that they would go out two by two and as they did they came back rejoicing because they indeed had worked miracles they were healing sicknesses casting demons out of people they were so very excited but we also know that these 12 would go out with the exception of course of of judas iscariot after the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection and the ascension, ascension of Jesus Christ, that they would give then the full gospel message as they went throughout the world. The forgiveness of sin uh, to tell people that jesus died for their sins he died on calvary's cross for them that salvation comes through the work that he did on calvary's cross and so these 12 and 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 paul the apostle later on becoming the apostle to the gentiles was used to declare the good news of the gospel to the world and we see that very clearly as we read the book of acts and acts account tells us how powerfully they moved out with that message now here we see a pattern that's very important notice that after being called by jesus verse 13 being with jesus they were then sent out by jesus verse 14 and they were empowered by jesus and it needs to be in that order you see he has called us to himself and then as we spend time with him knowing him learning about him falling more in love with him then he desires to send us out to do ministry he desires for us to be sent out to be ones that are giving the gospel to a lost and dying world to the people that are around us that are linked to us in our lives and as we do move out to give the gospel to serve the lord in our lives to live for him so you know part of being a witness is not just the words that you speak but it is indeed the way that you live your life and as we do we need the power of the lord we need the holy spirit working in us to help us to live that life that he wants us to and to move out and do the ministry and proclaim the gospel that he desires for us to give to others. And it's interesting. What is an encouragement here is we look at these guys that the Lord chose to spread the news of salvation and forgiveness of sin. Uh, the, the, the enemies of Jesus would say, as they did that in the book of Acts, that you guys as they would those apostles, again, brought before the Sanhedrin council in the book of Acts, they said, stop spreading the name of Jesus. you fill filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That is the doctrine of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It would be later on that those apostles would be accused that you've turned the whole world upside down. They turned the whole world upside down for Jesus Christ. Really, upside right is what it should be because the world is upside down right now. And so you have these ordinary guys that did a powerful work as they went out and spread the gospel news. I mean, look at these individuals. Uh, Simon, or again, Peter, listed first. Not only did he say amazing things as that... Confession there at Caesarea Philippi, you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. I can't help but also think about that time when the masses were beginning to leave Jesus, as Jesus was talking to them about, come to me and eat and drink of me, and I'm the bread of life. And the and the people were saying, uh, What is this? And they began to leave. And Jesus turned to the disciples at that time and said, Do you want to follow after them? And Peter said, Where would we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. And so Quite amazing, some of the things that Peter said. But also, there are times that Peter would say things that he shouldn't have, right? He kind of had a foot-shaped mouth, is what Peter had. Because he's always sticking his foot in his mouth at times. And so Peter, this, this fisherman, saying the wrong things at times, at the wrong time, and he would speak first, and then he would think later. Because it was right after he made that confession accessory of philippi that jesus talked about he was going to go to jerusalem i'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders and they're going to put me to death but i'm going to rise again and it was peter that said no we won't permit it to be so and he was rebuked at that time by jesus as it was jesus said peter get behind me satan and so peter would be rebuked by the lord at times when he said the wrong things and you know i can relate to peter i don't know about you Because I desire to say things that are are holy and right, but I know that I can stick my foot in my mouth at times. And I can relate to Peter, and Peter was used big time by the Lord. And then Peter, of course, would stand up on the day of Pentecost, and he would preach, and 3,000 got saved. And he was used as the leader of the early church, as we see in the book of Acts. And I know if the Lord can use somebody like Peter, he can use somebody like me. He can use you as well. So the Lord transformed this one who was shifting and unstable to the one who would eventually become solid and reliable. And that's what he wants to do in your life and in my life as well. He desires to grow us and make us solid and reliable and and mature in him. So the things that we do say are the wisdom of God and the truth of God. Then also, as you look at the list, you have the sons of thunders. Now, this is kind of interesting because we don't always think of James and John as, you know, these guys that are sons of thunder. And why were they called that? Because they were the ones that, as you read the gospel narratives, at one time, they said, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy this city, Lord, that these people are not responding to you. Let's just wipe them out. That's why they're called the sons of Thunder. And then at another time, they saw some guys that were ministering and they're preaching in your name, Lord, but they're not part of our group. Let's go over there and forbid them and rebuke them and stop them. So James and John seems like they're kind of quick tempered and and they were hard and kind of harsh. And that's why they were called the sons of thunder. They were going around rebuking people and wanting to call down fire on people. I mean, would you have chosen James and John to be a part of your ministry? If they were like that. But what happened was an amazing thing that we see particularly with John that has begun to walk with the Lord and learn of the Lord. He became known as the apostle of love. He's the one that in the last night that Jesus would be with his disciples in that upper room and as Jesus was having dinner for the last time with them that he was the one, John, that was leaning against the breast of Jesus because of his love for him hearing the heartbeat of deity he would be known as the apostle of love and he would remind us that we are to love one another in his epistle to the church and that's a great reminder that we are truly to love one another and i know that some of you can relate to james and john because perhaps before you were a christian you were really hard you were harsh on people you didn't care about people and all of a sudden as jesus has changed your heart and made you a new creation in him there is his love that has been put into you and all of a sudden you got compassion for people that you didn't before you care about people you have the love of christ that you desire to to tell them about and and show them through your own life because you have the love of christ in your heart and so you can relate to james and john and what god has done with them Then you have listed Andrew. He's the younger brother of Peter, and maybe you feel like Andrew that is always in somebody else's shadow. Your older brother, older sister, you know, boss, somebody at work, somebody else is always getting noticed, and Jesus chose somebody that perhaps you can relate to. So you have Jesus choosing a guy that kind of stuck his foot in his mouth at times, two guys that are quick-tempered, and a guy who lived in the shadow of his older brother. Then there's Philip. Now, Philip was the kind of individual. He didn't have a clue what was going on. And it was that way clear up until the time that Jesus would be betrayed. Matter of fact, on that night that Jesus was betrayed and rested and handed over to the religious leaders before he would go to the cross in that upper room, it was Philip that's saying, uh, Lord, uh, show us the Father that it may suffice us. And Jesus was saying, Philip, and I can just kind of, as I picture that story, Jesus saying, Oh, Philip, Philip, with maybe a little bit of a disappointed voice, but certainly saying, Philip, I've been with you so long. And don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? How can you say, Show us the Father? I've been with you all this time. And don't you know that that I am the perfect representation of the Father? That If you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you want to know the heart of the Father, know my heart. And so Jesus very gently encourages Philip, Philip, don't you understand? And I know that there are times in my life that I don't fully understand things, that perhaps that I should. And the Lord gently and out of his compassion and concern for me, Jeff, oh, don't you know, that I love you and I want to do what's best for you and my word is true, and, and I want to work in this situation. So you have Philip that was perhaps a little bit confused, and we can be confused at times, but God used him, and then you have Bartholomew. Would you have selected him? I mean, he was a skeptic who asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We see that in John chapter 1. As he's sitting under the fig tree known as Nathaniel, his brother Philip said, hey, we found the Messiah. He's the one that, that we've been looking for, and, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And I know at times that we can become skeptical and a little bit cynical. And what the Lord wants to do in our lives, but the Lord, out of His patience and compassion, continues to use us to give us understanding, just as it would be Nathaniel that would understand that Jesus truly was the Messiah. Verse 18 tells us that he chose Matthew. We talked about him. He was the one that was first known as Levi, and then the Lord changed his name to Matthew, gift of God. And that's how he sees you and me, doesn't he? And he's the one that everybody hated because he was a tax collector. He worked for the dreaded Romans. And tax collectors, as we discussed earlier, were trained extortioners, and they were the ones that ripped off the people, fleeced the people. That's how they made their money. Now, again, would you have chosen somebody who was hated by everybody? And then you have Thomas, and Thomas, would you choose him that he's a disciple who would doubt that Jesus was even alive? Would you choose somebody that would doubt that you're alive? And so here's Thomas that was walking around after the resurrection of Jesus saying, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe that he's alive after the The reports were circulating through Jerusalem that we've seen him. He's alive. And Thomas is saying, I am not going to believe until I touch him and see him. And Jesus would show himself to Thomas and say, touch me, my hands, my feet, my side. And Thomas would come to know that he truly was alive. And then we have those who, as we see, the list continues. James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, would you have chosen him? He's also called James the Less. And you know why he's called the Less? We don't know anything about this guy. He never speaks. Nothing's ever mentioned of him. No one knew his name. How would you like it if your name was James the Less or Jeff the Less or Jim the Less? Whatever it might be. Nothing known of him in the scriptures. And perhaps you can relate to him. Because maybe you can think, and maybe you're thinking, I'm somewhat shy and reserved, and I don't make my presence known. But the Lord sees you, and know this, he does know your name. Just as he knew James' name. And he saw James, and he says, yeah, I can use you. I can use you, James, and he did. And he can use you as well. Then you have Simon the Canaanite, also called Simon the Zealot. He was the political radical the zealots were the ones that wanted to overthrow the the roman government that was oppressing the people of israel and he was doing that when jesus message was my kingdom's not of this world but i'll choose you i'll choose you you radical you who's a zealot and i'm going to change your heart and you're going to see that there's a bigger picture and that is the kingdom of god that is at hand now think about this if simon the zealot and matthew who collected taxes for the romans directly employed by the Roman government, if they would have met in any other circumstances, they would have been at each other's throats, wouldn't they? They wouldn't hang out together. They wouldn't be ministering together at all if it wasn't for Jesus bringing them together. And that's what's so wonderful about the body of Christ you see we find unity in Jesus Christ apart from him a lot of us we wouldn't be fellowshipping with each other we wouldn't know each other but Jesus brings us together he brings us together as one we have a love for one another we have a unity of heart we have a a one spirit a, a one accord because we belong to Jesus Christ even though we all have different backgrounds we have different vocations and different personalities and different opinions about things Some of us are Steeler fans. Some of us are Packer fans. But we still come together, don't we? And we come together in the unity of Jesus Christ. And we come together with all kinds of of different experiences that we've had. We're not all the same, but we are one, aren't we? And so Jesus Christ bringing all these guys that are different. Then you have Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. Now, did Jesus pick the superstars? Did he pick those who were of prominence, of prosperity? Did he pick the religious elite? Did he pick the scholars of the nation? No, he didn't. And what I like about this list is we just take a moment as we look at these 12 guys that Jesus chose. I really appreciate their Their quality, or should I say, their lack of quality, because it gives me hope that Jesus can use somebody like me. And a verse that many of you are very familiar with: as Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he would say that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. God has chosen the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. And initially, these guys didn't have a whole lot to offer. If you were to look at their resumes, you wouldn't be impressed at all. Fishermen, fishermen, fishermen. You know, just ordinary guys. So wonder Jesus was praying all night. But yet the Lord chose them, and he changed them, and he worked with them. And eventually they impacted the world for Jesus Christ by the working of the Spirit. And I want to encourage you that are here today, and I want to encourage us as a congregation. Do you know that he wants to do the same thing? He wants to do the same thing with you. He wants to do the same thing with us. And I believe one of the reasons that the Lord has me up here is because he wants to encourage you that if he can use somebody like me, he can use anybody. And I believe that he does. I, th- I believe his word is true that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He wants to use us in a powerful way to advance his kingdom. He wants to use you to impact people's lives. And all of us are linked to people, family members and people we live next to and people that we work alongside of and people that we study with at school, whatever it might be for you, to be a light to them and to give them a message of hope. And I believe that he wants to use this congregation in a very impacting ways we come together and say yes we want to be about the work of the kingdom of god and and be a light to a dark world that is out there and a world that is getting more darker by the day." to be able to give the good news of the gospel to be able to give the truth of god's word as we are doing that in various ways as you go outside these four walls and you minister as you begin to to talk with people As we have the radio program, another means by which we can impact this community for Jesus Christ. And the Lord desires to use us in a powerful way, especially in the day in which we're living in. But it isn't going to be out of our own might or power. But by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And that's how we can leave a mark with the people that we know and and in this community and leave a mark in this world concerning the kingdom of God. It is God working through us. He has chosen us to himself. He has raised up this fellowship for a reason. And then as we are with him, as we come together in this place and learn of him and fall more in love with him and know him and get grounded in the truth of God's word, then we can move out and proclaim him and move in the power of the Holy Spirit as he works in us and through us and impacting the people around us and so verse 20 as we continue then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread but when his own people heard about this they went out to lay hold of him for they said he is out of his mind so now we see the reaction of the intensity of jesus ministry he gave himself so totally to this ministry to these crowds that he really didn't have time to eat, the disciples, and his friends heard about this and were disturbed. And, and that's what the word that uh, means, his own people. It means close friends, relatives. Literally, it means those from beside him. And we're going to see at the latter part of this chapter that his mother and his brothers come from Nazareth when they hear the word that Jesus, there's all these masses and multitudes following after your son, Mary, after your brother, guys and he's not eating he's not sleeping properly he's giving himself totally to the masses and the people are thinking he's out of his mind let me ask you a question this morning do you have family members and close friends that think that you're out of your mind because you're surrendered to jesus christ you believe in him and you're walking with him you give yourself to him You're one that says, I'm not going to live like the world, but I live for him, and I walk with him, and I love him, and he's everything to me. He's the priority of my life, and there are going to be those who live with you, perhaps, maybe other members of your family, those who are your neighbors, live alongside of you, those who work alongside of you that are going to think you're out of your mind. Because the Lord is the priority of your life. And you're giving yourself to Him, living for Him. And He's present in your heart. He's present in your home. And look, they go to church during the week on Wednesday nights. Who goes to church on Wednesday nights these days? Man, American Idol's on. Look what you're missing. I mean, go to church and study God's Word and learn of Jesus and praise Him. I know I'm being a little bit sarcastic. But I pray that there are those who say that you're out of your mind because in reality you have a sound mind and you have a strong mind and you have the mind of Christ as you continue in the things of Christ. So here they were saying that, man, something's going on here and they're coming from Nazareth and those who were close to him trying to restrain him and hey, our brother Jesus, he's flipped out. He's out of his mind doesn't have time to eat bread, doesn't have time to to really to feed himself. And it's interesting because in John's Gospel, chapter 4, when Jesus was in that area of Samaria, he met a woman at Jacob's well. Many of you know the story of the Samaritan woman. And there Jesus is having a conversation with this woman, and he's talking to her about living water. He says, you drink of this water, uh, the water that is in this well here, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give to you, that you're going to be drinking of living water, and you'll never thirst again. And the disciples at that time weren't with Jesus. They were down in town buying some food. So the woman, being touched by Jesus, ministered by Jesus, goes and leaves the well and goes into the city to tell the man, come and see a man who has told me all things that I ever did. I believe that he is the Christ. While she goes back into town, the disciples come back from town. And they come back, as John chapter 4 tells us, with some food. And they're urging him to eat some of that food. And Jesus said, I have food to eat which you do not know. And the disciples are kind of whispering among themselves saying, what's he talking about? He has some food. Did somebody bring him some food? Does he have a loaf of bread up his sleeve? What's the deal here? But Jesus answered them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me hey, I got food that you don't totally understand, and that is doing the will of my Father. That's what feeds me. That's what sustains me. That is what refreshes me. He was so full of the satisfaction of being used by the Father and in harmony with the Father. And in sharing with that woman who was touched by him about living water, that he is the living water. One of the things that you will discover, I know that some of you have discovered this, that we're discovering this together. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy you more, refresh you more, than to know Him and to serve Him, live for Him, being used of God, being in harmony with God. And many of you, you're finding that as you serve the Lord, you're finding that to be true, that there is an, Energy that happens. There's a sustaining, there's a fulfillment. When you live for the Lord and as you're knowing Him and loving Him and then moving out and being used by Him and whatever that might mean for you. And people will say to you and to me, hey, how can you be so refreshed, so energized? Well, I have food that you don't even know about, and that is due to the will of my Father. So are you feeling maybe a little bit weak? unfulfilled, hungry this morning, then you draw close to the Lord and continue to know Him and then moving out as you live for Him and serving Him and being able to be a light to others. And you will find it as a great joy. And if you really are not doing that, you're missing out. You're missing out on such wonderful joy and fulfillment and satisfaction And just real purpose that you sense in your heart because you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I have food that you don't even know about. And that is to do the will of my Father. And it's the same with us as he sustains us and refreshes us as we live for him. And so the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. So there were some scribes who came down from Jerusalem who had no doubt been watching Jesus. And part of his ministry that we've seen so far is casting demons out of people. And they were amazed. They were astonished that he was doing that. So the religious leaders who now remember they have come, they're confronting Jesus, they have a hatred for Jesus, they're plotting to put him to death, they're coming up with this explanation that he's doing it because he's possessed by the devil, by Beelzebub. Beelzebub means lord of the house. It's a reference to Satan as king of the underworld, head of the demonic world, and Beelzebub is the leader who gives the orders and the rest of the demons all follow. And so these scribes' explanation of the ministry of Jesus is that he was in a league with the demons. He had joined the forces of darkness, was casting out these demons by the ruler of demons. And so Jesus answers with a very simple, logical statement, verse 23. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against himself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand and if satan has risen up against himself and is divided he cannot stand but has an end so what he is saying is what those scribes are saying makes absolutely no sense because why would satan try to defeat himself satan would never oppose himself by using jesus to cast out demons why would he fight against himself what they are saying does not make sense at all If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And if Satan rises up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. And by the way, just a little side note, that's one of the devices of Satan. He knows this, that a kingdom divided can't stand, a house divided cannot stand, a family divided cannot stand, a church divided cannot stand. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, is what Paul told the Corinthian church. And understand that one of his devices, because he knows that there will be the sound of a fall, the sound of a crash, is to try to bring division between husband and wife. Try to bring division between family members. Try to bring division between brothers and sisters. And that's why it's important that we be seeking the Lord and yield it to the Lord. Because what does Jesus do? As we have talked about this morning, He brings unity, doesn't He? He brings uh, us together with one heart and one accord. As one body. He desires to bring husband and wife. He says that you are one. Because a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, Satan wants to try to divide. He'll do anything he can to drive a wedge between husband and wife. A family is one. The family of God is one. And he's going to try to bring division because because he knows that it will not stand if there is division. He continues and he says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house so jesus adds this little footnote here when answering them about the accusation that by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons he says you can't spoil the strong man's house and his goods unless you first bind the strong man now who is the strong man keep it in context who were describes talking about what is being talked about as jesus he is doing it as you know he is doing it by the ruler of satan the ruler of beelzebub So the strong man here, as Jesus talks in this parable, is Satan himself is a strong man. And a strong man, Satan, will come to you and to me and know this, he will try to keep the goods from us. He's going to try to keep the goods from us. And the only way that we can keep Satan to where he's not robbing us of the goods and the blessings that God has for us is he needs to be bound up another gospel says he is bound the strong man by one who is stronger and who is stronger of course Jesus himself and as I've made reference to you before in Colossians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 that Jesus's work on the cross having wiped out the handwriting requirements the result of that is he has disarmed principalities and powers made a public spectacle of them that means they have been stripped is what it means It's a military term, actually, that Paul uses there in the Greek. Triumphing over them. So Satan tries to keep the goods from people, people that we know and love, right? Eternal life. Knowing Jesus Christ, he brings a blindness to the world, and as Paul would write to the Corinthian church, there's a blindness. People don't see. They don't understand. He clouds their minds. He binds them up and, and trying to keep the goods from them, the good news of the gospel and for you and for me the strong man has been bound hasn't he by jesus christ who went to the cross and died for our sins and jesus now has freed us from the penalty of sin and and now as the holy spirit comes in us from the power of sin in our lives we are free from all of that and now we can experience the goods but christian understand this that satan still will try to to keep a grip on our lives and satan still needs to be bound by the stronger because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world he still fights against us even though he has no authority he's still powerful he will try to deceive us he'll try to bring division he'll try to, to fight against you discourage you lie to you he's a deceiver he is going to throw those fiery darts at you and me and that's why we need to continue to put on the whole armor of god that's how the strong man for the christian is bound is by we continue in the things of god the whole armor of god we continue in the word of god how did jesus defeat satan there in the temptation as we saw earlier in mark when he was in the wilderness by the word of god and knowing the word of god and having the word of god in our hearts now i was planning on getting to it this morning but i don't think we're going to get to it this morning in the parable of the sower as the sower went out to sow seeds and so a little preview for next week when we do get into it that our hearts need to be like fertile soil to receive the word of god and just not just knowing the word of god but heeding the word of god as well and i have known certainly people in the world that they can experience the goodness of god because they haven't received the salvation of the lord they don't know the word of god but christians I know even more and more today that they're not experiencing the blessings of the Lord and the joy of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord and the strength of the Lord because they don't have the Word of God in their hearts. And sometimes the church, the church at large, can go to other things that try to get people to grow or be strong or grow in wisdom. It is by taking in the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, living the Word of God. Jesus said that you be like the wise man who built his house upon the solid foundations so that when the winds did come, that he was able to stand because he is the one that hears these words of mine and then does them. And there are those, even Christians, that experience hardships and difficulties and sadness in their life because they don't know the promises of God. They really don't know how to live for him. They don't understand that Jesus has the goods that he wants to give to you and to me, blessing and joy and strength. Not confusion. Not weakness. Not sadness, but gladness. And his peace, to rule in our hearts as we trust in him and what his word has to say. So we need to continue in learning the word of God and having the word of God in our hearts, and having it worked out in our lives. But also, how do we bind the strong man as well? Listen, it's by prayer as well. It's by prayer. And we need to be praying for those who are in darkness. We need to be praying for those that Satan has blinded because they're not experiencing the goods. And we need to continue to pray for them, to those family members, for our neighbors, for those that we know in our lives. Let Lord, open up their hearts. Take the blindness away. Because Satan is robbing them. Satan, who is called the God, little g, of this world. The prince of the power of the air. And he is working overtime in the day in which we're living. And we see that, don't we? And so many are blind and don't understand. And we need to pray against that. We need to pray for them. Intercede for them. And then we need to pray for other brothers and sisters. And we need to pray as we go out in our day. I can't emphasize enough how the strong man, there's power in prayer as he's bound up as we pray. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan's asking for you. He wants to shift you like wheat. In other words, he wants to mess you up. He wants to do you in. He wants to beat you up. But Peter, I've been praying for you. And it was Jesus that gives us model of prayers. We saw him on the mountain and he chose. And how important for us as Christians, not just to take in the word of God, there's power in the word of God. It's powerful and alive, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, sharper than any two-edged sword. Yes, to grow us and to plant us and to strengthen us and to give us wisdom, but there's power in prayer as well. And you see, before I go out in my day, I need to bind the strong man through prayer and you do as well, praying for those who are lost, but also praying for other brothers and sisters and praying for my day. And it's wise to do that. There's power in that. There's a binding that takes place in that. Now, let's say, for example, that I have opportunity to go down to Colorado Springs and teach for Pastor Eric or down to Calvary Chapel Aurora and teach for Pastor Ed. It's a blessing when I have opportunity to do that. And it's exciting. I love to see what God is doing in their fellowships at Calvary Chapel Aurora and Calvary Chapel Rocky Mountain, Calvary Chapel and Colorado Springs and a blessing to be with them. And so I get a message prepared. I'm all excited. And what if I got in my car and then the gas needle is on empty? And what if I say, well, I don't have time to get gas. I don't have time. I got to get going. I got this wonderful teaching. I want to bless the people. I got the word of God I want to share with them. Obviously, that would be foolish because it would be wise for me to stop and get the gas to get the power to be able to get down there to Colorado Springs so I can minister to the people. I need to do that before I begin my journey. It's going to be a whole lot more productive and enjoyable and I'll get a whole lot further ultimately. You see, that's what prayer does. People say, I don't have time for prayer. Got to get going. And I can't, can't stop now. Got people to see and things to do. But we need to stop and pray. Because there's a binding of the strong man, Satan, when we do that. And then we get to experience more of the goods. And you'll get a whole lot further in the day, in your ministry, your walk with the Lord, if you stop and pray, because as I mentioned, and we'll continue to, that there's power in prayer, the binding of the strong man. You stop, I stop, we slow down, and we pray. We bind them up, and we get the goods. So Jesus continues his response. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Now the scribe's declaration that he has an unclean spirit, he's doing this by the power of the devil. They were attributing the works of God's Holy Spirit to Satan. Now Jesus is not saying that they have committed the unpardonable sin, but he has given them a very strong warning here. This is a sign that they were getting close to the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin, the sin in which there is no forgiveness, is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And he who believes is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already, seeing that he has not believed on the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world but men would not come to the light this is the unpardonable sin a man's failure to come to the light to receive god's provision for his sins you see we understand that god has made only one provision for man's sin and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus died for you. That was one of the main emphasis that the writer of Hebrews was making to those Hebrew believers there in the first century, that those sacrifices of the goats and bulls and, and sheep, that wasn't enough to take away sin, that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, came and he died for your sins once and for all. That's what took away your sins. There's no other provision for the forgiveness of sin than what Jesus Christ has done. There's no other salvation that is found in anyone else other than Jesus Christ. And when we reject that and come to the end of our days in that rejection that I don't need forgiveness of sin or I can find forgiveness of sin by another means or I don't need Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, that's the unpardonable sin. That's the unpardonable sin. Now, sometimes people will come to me and say, um, "I think I committed the unpardonable sin because I was a pagan before. You know, I was a believer, and I really mocked God, and I made fun of Him, and I cursed God, and I denied Him. and, and did I just commit the unpardonable sin? No. I mean, at that time, rejecting Jesus Christ. You were not in a good place, but out of his mercy and grace, he saved you, and you are forgiven. And I think that a lot of us have that testimony of before we came to Christ, we denied Christ, maybe mocked Christ. We're enemies with Christ. But now we belong to him because we have surrendered our hearts to him, and we are saved, and you're forgiven. But when a person continually rejects and then comes to the end of their life, where they reject Jesus Christ, the only one that can save, that's the unpardonable sin. That's the unpardonable sin. And then as we finished the chapter, then his brothers and his mothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle of those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. I'm doing something new here. That's what all of chapter three has been indicating to us it's not just about you you guys who are so religious about all your traditions and rules and regulations it's about relationship it's about rejoicing in me no longer just 12 tribes of israel but 12 apostles it's a new family no longer my mother mary my brothers in the flesh it's whoever does the will of my father they are my family they are my family as he looks around the crowd and he says something very amazing This is my father. You know, this is my mother. These are my brothers. This is my family. It's those who have relationship with me. And as we come and surrender our hearts, we are part of the family of God. Something new, it's a relationship with Him and rejoicing and living in the love of Jesus Christ, knowing Him, and then as a member of the family going out and desiring to bring others into the family of God, into relationship with Him. So they can be truly fulfilled and satisfied and so father we thank you we thank you so much for this wonderful gospel good news that is proclaimed to us that the strong man has been bound that death and sin has been defeated by jesus christ and lord that we can come into relationship with you through our lord jesus christ have forgiveness of sin And I am so thankful that we in this place this morning can truly rejoice because we are saved, we are forgiven, we have relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray this morning if there is anyone here